when people are down there. So I, I'm up here. Um, if, uh, if somebody uh, asked you on the street, I was going to play a video, but n- none of them I found were, were very good. But if somebody asked you, uh, what is a Christian, what would you say? Q&A here. What's a Christian? Okay, so somebody who who believes in God and obeys to the best of their ability. Anybody else? A follower of Christ, all right. A cricket? A person who's been saved, okay. Yeah, those are all those are all good. What's it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to to follow Jesus? Now, I, I watch some of these street interviews. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen those, but it's where somebody will go um, on the street with like a microphone and a video camera and they'll ask somebody a question. Like, what do you think of Jesus? Or what, what do you think of Christians? Or, or what do you think of global warming? Whatever, whatever the question is. And the, the person will answer. And usually the people who say the dumbest things will, will get on this video. And I, I was watching some of these about, you know, what do you think of Christians? Or, or, you know, who are Christians to you? And a lot of, a lot of the responses uh, that I got, and I realize it's only a small sampling of people, but I think no matter where you go, you'd, you'd get some of these same responses, especially from people who are not Christians. You'd, you'd get responses like, oh, Christians are, uh, those are people who, who, uh, who go to church Sunday. They, they don't drink. They, they don't cuss. They don't, they don't smoke. They don't go to certain movies. They, they don't like gay people. They don't like transgender people. They're very judgmental. They're very self-righteous. And I, I watched several different, different videos of different people and, and all, some form of all of those came up in all of these videos. But what, what is a Christian? That, that's, that, that seems to be what people who aren't Christians seem to describe Christians as. Uh, Marilyn said a, a Christian's a follower of Jesus. I was hoping somebody would say that. I was hoping somebody would also say uh, the counterpart to that, which is the word disciple. Well, let's talk about that, about that word disciple. Because if, if a Christian is a follower of Jesus... And I think they are. At least they should be. I, I, think, I think many times people in our world, you know, you ask, somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Whatever. But they don't follow Jesus. You know, they, they might go to church on Christmas or Easter or you know, they, they just believe that there's some type of God. But yeah, I'm a Christian. But no, by definition, Christian is, is a disciple of Jesus. But what's a disciple? There's a good question for you. I think, I think a very good definition of the word disciple is somebody who sits at the feet of Jesus, learns from him, and follows his example. So the word disciple really just means you know, somebody who sits at the feet of somebody else and learns from them. But for our, for our intents and purposes, a disciple is somebody who sits at the feet of Jesus, they learn from him, and they follow his example. They don't, they don't just sit and listen. They, they listen and they obey. 
See, I think many people in our world, many people in our churches, sometimes even us, we're quick to say that Jesus is our Lord and is our Savior. But what we really mean is that he's our Savior. We really emphasize the Savior part that Jesus gets us out of hell. Because of Jesus, we don't have to pay the penalty for our sins. And that's true, and that's awesome, and that's great. But there's also that Lord part. And when, when Jesus appeared to Thomas after he'd risen from the dead, Thomas had, you know, doubted, and Jesus said, here, touch, touch, my, touch the wounds. Thomas touched him, he said, my Lord and my God. Lord. And we, I guess here in America, we don't really have this concept of Lord. We don't, we don't go around calling people lords or masters. But in, in the New Testament times, very, very common. People would say, Lord, and if, someone, if someone's your Lord, if someone's your master, you're pre- pretty much their, their property. You, you do what they say. And if Jesus is our Lord, that means he's the boss, and we're not the boss. Francis Chan, in his book Multiply, he says this. You may have seen this. I shared this on, on the church Facebook page uh, a week ago or so. It says, the problem is many in the church want to confess that Jesus is Lord, yet they don't believe that he's their master. Do you see the obvious contradiction in this? The call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is open to everyone, but we don't get to write our own job description. If Jesus is Lord, then he sets the agenda. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then your life belongs to him. He has a plan, agenda, and calling for you. You don't get to tell him what you'll be doing today or for the rest of your life. So if Jesus is Lord, then he calls the shots. And if Lord, he tells me to do something, I I better do it. So if he's our Lord, we do what he says. He said that, John 14, 15, says, "If, if, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. Obedience. It's not very popular to talk about in the church. It's a lot more fun and easy and popular to talk about like health and wealth things. Like, oh, just come to church, give your money, God will bless you and do all this other stuff. You don't really need to do anything other than come. But that, that's, that's not in my Bible. But obedience is this huge theme in what Jesus talks about. Several times he'll even go, hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you're not, not going to do what I say, then I'm obviously not your Lord. Something else is your Lord. Someone else is your Lord. And part of how, as parents, we, we um, measure our kids' love for us and their respect for us is, hey, if, if we tell them to go clean our room, did they go and clean it? Somebody laughed. You know what I'm talking about. Or if we tell them to do the dishes, are they going to go do it? Or does it take you telling them umpteen times before they, they get up off the couch and do it? No, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, some things we are really good at obeying, if we're honest. Just think about the Ten Commandments, for instance. I mean, we won't go through all of them, but we're, we're really good at obeying some of those on the surface when you think about it. Like, honor your father and mother. Yeah, you know, I didn't forget Father's Day this year. I didn't forget Mother's Day. I make sure to call them on their birthday. I'm doing real good at that. I haven't killed anybody this week. Week's not over yet. You know, I haven't cheated on my spouse. I haven't, I haven't plotted about how I can get my neighbor's Corvette. 
haven't worshipped any other gods. Now, on the surface, we're really good at obeying those things. Now, dig down a little bit deeper. You may think, I'm not, I'm not so good at obeying those. But there's other commandments in Scripture that, that we're maybe not so good at obeying. Things like love your neighbors. We're really good about loving the people who maybe look like us, act like us, who aren't annoying, who don't have parties until 2 in the morning. But the people who, who annoy us, who get on our nerves, we're maybe not so quick to love them. Or how about this? Do not worry. Who's good at obeying that? Or serve one another. All right. But there's, there's one command of Jesus that I think we either ignore it altogether or we only focus on one part of it. It's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. You can turn there if you want. I think a better title for it in in our world today is the Great Omission. Because you and I, um, probably all of us in here almost, can probably quote the thing. But do we do it is the question. We, We can probably all, to a T, almost quote the Great Commission. But are we carrying it out? Now, as you're turning there, Matthew 28, um, starting at verse 18. This is the end of the, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is, uh, this is probably about his third post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. So he, he's already been killed. He's already risen from the dead. He, he's appeared to them. This is going to be the final time he appears to them before he ascends back into heaven. And so he appears to the 12 disciples on a mountain, and he gives them what we can call some marching orders. And he says this, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, like I said, we can all quote that, but can we carry it out? That's the more important question. Because my hunch is this. My hunch is that What's happened in our churches is that we've relegated the, the task and the main oomph of the Great Commission to people who get up and preach and people who get paid for ministry and missionaries who are overseas. I think, I think we've kind of, maybe not necessarily, but we've kind of pushed that task off on them. And we think, oh, that's, that's something that ministers do. That's something that missionaries do. Here's the, here's the big idea today. I'll say this over and over. It's really easy to remember. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. In other words, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you claim to follow Jesus, if you claim to sit at his feet and you try to do what he says, you should be making disciples of Jesus because that's what disciples do.
Remember, a disciple, somebody who sits at the feet of Jesus, they learn from him, and they strive to follow his example in, the, in their life every day. You remember when, uh, when Jesus was on earth, he was doing his, his ministry, and he came up to the disciples, Peter, James, John, said, hey, come, follow me, and I'll what? Make you fishers of men. In other words, come follow me, and I'm going to show you how to make disciples. It's not just the job of the 12 disciples. People, people sometimes read this and think, oh, that was, Jesus is just talking to them. He doesn't have anything for me to say, but if you follow that logic, then that would mean that, oh, I guess after the lifetime of the disciples, there doesn't need to be any more disciples. That doesn't make sense. Now, this is for every Christian everywhere. Now, think about this as we, as we kind of break this passage down a little bit this morning. Think, if somebody rose from the dead and they appeared to you, and they gave you a command. What do you think you would do? After you called a psychiatrist, you know, and, and got some type of, said, you know, I think I'm, I need some medicine or something. <laughs> but no, after, after you realize you weren't hallucinating, don't you think you might pay attention to what this person says? Especially if this is the person you'd been with for the last three years and you'd seen them do all kinds of miracles, seen them raise people from the dead. You'd seen him walk on water, calm storms, make bread and fish multiply, cast out demons. And then just within the past uh, few weeks, you'd seen him himself killed and brought back to life. I think we would do what he says. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's already all, always been his. He didn't just get it after he rose from the dead. That all authority belongs to me. All of it. So, he's saying, as our Lord, as our Master, as our Savior, he has all of the authority in the world to command us to do something. And if we love him, we're going to do what he says. If we don't do what he says then we have to ask ourselves, do, well, do I really love him? Because I'm not doing what he says. I say I love him, but I've, I've never done any of this stuff. Now, in the, in the Greek language, there's, there's four activities or verbs that, that are listed here in this passage. But there's only one command. Now, I know it says make disciples, it says baptize, it says teach, it says go. But only one of those in the Greek language is an actual imperative or, or a command word. It's not go. Many times we think it's go. Oh, yeah, you know, go missionary. We've got to have all these missionaries. We've got to teach them to go. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. And while that's important, that's not the main thrust of this passage. It's not baptize. You know, sometimes we think, Oh, we've got to baptize people, got to get them wet, got to get them saved, whatever. And while that's important, that's not the thrust of this passage. You know, we've got to teach people. That's important, but that's not the thrust of this passage. The only imperative command word uh, in the Greek language in this text is make disciples. The other three words 
the, the go, the baptize, the teach. Those are what are called participles. Sorry for the grammar lesson. But they, they are words that tell you how to carry out the main command. So the main command is to make disciples. How you do that is by going, baptizing, teaching. One command, it's like saying this. Look, you tell your kid, I want you to wash the car. Waxing it, buffing it, and, and drying it. The command is to, is to wash the car, but it includes all this other stuff. Make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching. Now here's, here's my guess, and just experience tells me this. And reading statistics tell me this, because they don't lie. But many of us in churches in America have probably never made a disciple. Many of us have probably never baptized anybody. And why is that? Again, that's a minister's job. That's what they get paid to do. No. According to Scripture, that's a disciple's job. Because disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. If I had a little, little chart, I would just have this arrow that constantly went around to show this, this reproductive cycle of, of disciple making. It, it doesn't stop. So the command is to make disciples. There's three aspects to that. We'll look at those three participles here. The first aspect is uh, an intentional aspect. The word go. Okay. Scripture doesn't ha tell us to have this field of dreams mentality. You guys seen that movie? It's a good movie. Kevin Costner, right? Guy hears a voice. If you build it, he will come. No, sorry. That's my best in, in, in impression of that. So he builds this baseball field and all these long dead baseball players uh, kind of, I don't know if you can call it come back from the dead or what, but they come back and, and they play baseball after the sun goes down. And sometimes we kind of we treat church like that. We think, oh, if we built this, this great building and we have all this stuff, then people are just going to magically come. And many times we, we treat this, this saying of Jesus where, where it says go, we, we kind of treat it like it says come. Like, oh, we've got to come to church. We've we got to come to Sunday school. We've got to come to youth group. We've got we to come to the, to the worship service, whatever it is. But it, it doesn't say come. It says go. And sometimes I just, I think we get this all backwards. Now, go does not have to mean overseas. A lot of times we, we read this passage and we think, oh, we've got we to gotta go to all the nations. And, and while it does say that, it says all nations, it doesn't have to mean just overseas. It can mean down the street. It can mean next door. What it's talking about is having this intentionality wherever you go. Looking with spiritual eyes, listening to the Holy Spirit so that he can point people out who you might need to reach out to. 
who maybe only you can reach out to this person because you have this relationship with them that nobody else does. You know, how often do we go to work with spiritual eyes? I know a lot of times it's so easy to just go to work and think what you got to get done for that day and clock in and do all your stuff, make sure it gets done and, you know, clock out and, and then you go home and, you know, while, while you've done your job, you know, have you really impacted anybody? So go where? If we're not going overseas, where are we going? Well, how about your work? How about your break room? You know, the annoying guy who, who sits there quoting news stories all day or, you know, the, that coworker who just irritates you for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe you need to reach out to them. Or your locker room, your football field, your gas station. Where, wherever you go, go with this intentionality that there's people there who, who God might very well want you to reach out to. So there's this intentional aspect. Number two, there's a, there's a confessional aspect. That's what, that's what baptism is. And this is where uh, churches in our movement tend to focus. We, we put a really high emphasis on baptism. And baptism is, is important. We, we should emphasize it. But a lot of times that, that's, the, that's the part we seem to key in, key in on and, and kind of stay there. We think, we've got to get these people baptized. And then it's almost like once they dry off out of the water, kind of think, well, they're done, move, move on to the next person. And unfortunately, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. A lot of times people um, think that only pastors can baptize people. That's not true. Many of my friends have been baptized by their friends or by their spouse or by, by somebody who, who helped lead them to Christ who was not in vocational ministry. I think it's more powerful when, when somebody who isn't a minister baptizes somebody. You do not have to be a pastor to baptize somebody. You just have to have Jesus. Now, when you go through Scripture, there is no such thing in the New Testament as an unbaptized Christian. When somebody meets Jesus, they get baptized. When somebody decides to follow Jesus, they get baptized. And that's where we publicly identify with Christ. It's where our faith meets God's grace. Nothing magic in the water. But when you want to follow Jesus, you get baptized. Third aspect is a relational aspect. And honestly, this is, a, this is where the part of discipleship, where the rubber meets the road. This is the hardest part. This is the part that takes the most time. It's easy to baptize somebody. It's hard to relationally invest in somebody. Have you read the rest of this passage? I, I have, I've read this passage so many times in my life. And while I've read this part, I never really noticed it until this week. You ever do that? Like you, you read something over and over again, and you know the words, but you know, I, I never noticed that before. Well, that happened to me this week. Because it doesn't say, it doesn't say, teach them everything I've commanded you. If it did, we'd be, we'd be knocking that out of the park. Because, man, it's easy to teach people facts. It's easy to teach for your head knowledge. 
But it doesn't say that. In verse 20, it says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's hard. It doesn't say teach them everything. It doesn't say teach them to memorize everything that I've said. It says teach them to obey. It's really easy to teach for head knowledge. It's a lot harder to teach people obedience and to not teach to a test. And God wants your obedience. He doesn't want, just want your attendance at church or, or anything else, your, your tithe. He wants your obedience. You can go to, uh, you don't necessarily have to turn there. I'm just going to paraphrase this. But 1 Samuel chapter 15, you get this passage where Saul is a, Saul's king of Israel, first king, and he's, he's not really doing a good job. And uh, he, uh, he gets the command from Samuel that God wants him to do this. Well, Saul kind of takes it in his own hands, and he does what he thinks should be done. And, uh, and he, really, he really messes things up. And Samuel comes to him, and Samuel, is, he's ticked. And in First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, so Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, we don't have time to really get into all of that passage other than to say that God values your obedience more than he values whatever sacrifice you may bring to him. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you love me, you will obey what I command. Is Jesus your Lord? Or is he just your Savior? So what's all this look like? We're, we're talking about discipleship. Well, if you look in the Gospels, you see Jesus up here. He's got the 12 disciples. But then uh, you'll, you'll read throughout the Gospels, and there's many times where he breaks apart the 12 disciples, and he, he takes a consistent three of them. He takes Peter, James, and John. Those are kind of the inner three of his disciples. And over three years, Jesus spends... Yes, he spends time with, with, um, with the 12 overall, but he takes special time with, with Peter, James, and John. And he spends years with them, teaching them, showing them what it's like to follow him. What can it look like in your life? If, if you had, you don't have to have three people, but what if you had a couple people where you just decided, you know, I feel like God is, is uh, calling me to, to reach out to these two people. I'm, I'm going to invest in them. And then what happens if, if you say you invest in those two people, and, and those two people over the coming years, they invest in two people who invest in two people who invest in two people. Can you see how exponentially that would just explode? If you say that's impossible, I'd encourage you to read the book of Acts because that's exactly what happens. When people, when the disciples got commanded this, they, they carried it out. The end of the Gospel of Matthew is really the beginning of what God wants to do in all of our lives. Because the church just explodes into existence in the book of Acts. And you'll have 
people, thousands of people who are coming to Jesus at a time. And you'll have people like Philip who are just going down the road and all of a sudden he gets to explain the gospel to somebody, gets to teach them, gets to baptize them right there. All because they're looking at things with spiritual eyes. They're not just working for a paycheck. They're not just, you know, in the monotony of their day-to-day life. They're actually living with this intentionality that, okay, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't have to be in church on Sunday morning to be a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple in my cubicle Monday through Friday. I'm going to be a, dis- a disciple in my shop Monday through Friday, whatever. I'm, wherever I go, you know, I'm going to look at people with spiritual eyes. I'm going to have an intentionality about what I'm doing and realize I'm not just here, you know, to come to church. That's not just why I'm a Christian. As a disciple of Jesus, I'm, going to, I'm here to make other disciples of Jesus who are going to make other disciples of Jesus. And if you're wondering where to start with this, if you're a parent, start with your kids. Your kids are your first disciples. There's a, uh, there's a beautiful passage in Deuteronomy, and I realize that it's talking about the law um, of Moses, but it's also talking about teaching your kids about God. And it says this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Discipleship starts at home with your kids. One of the, one of the great tragedies in our day and age is that a lot of times parents bring their kids to church, which is great, and think that it's the church's job to solely disciple their children. We get them for like an hour or two a week. You know, you guys have them the rest of the week. You know, it has to start at home. And it seems like an impossible task, making disciples, if you think about it. Man, that's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be hard. I'm going to have to say hard things to people, and I might have to get awkward with people, and I might have to open up my life and have to hear awkward things from people, and it just might get kind of messy. Yeah, it will. But notice the last part of this. Jesus says, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That's the most important part in here. Never at any time are we doing this alone? Jesus is with us. Through the Holy Spirit, we have access to him all the time. We're never in this alone in the fact that, oh, we've got to carry this out by ourselves. It's all in our own power. It's all in our own methods. No. It's through Jesus' authority that he commands us to do this. And if he's got all authority to command us to do this, he's going to give us what we need to do this. And he's going to stand beside us as we do this. It's not the end of the gospel, but the beginning.